0: In the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each week, we look at sports topics of local interest. Maybe a national sports topic or two. I don't think we have a gambling segment this week, um, but uh, usually we've got one when when it warrants it. Uh, last week, I did a master's one where I came up. Just a little short of my Tony Finau top five pick that was a little disappointing to me. And the uh, segment of the show where you can ask me a question on any topic, sports or otherwise, it's hashtag on Twitter. Ask skinny anything. Rick, how are we doing on this fine April morning? I'm doing well. You know, I think that
0: might have been our last betting podcast for a while. I mean, maybe maybe some NBA playoffs coming up this summer. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think we That's can probably a- get into some of that. Maybe look at some series odds or some. uh Uh, you know, championship odds as we go through. But you're right. I mean, if it feels like kind of a letdown, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. I mean, this has kind of become a gambling podcast, but we'll power through. There's a lot of news to talk about.
1: And and I'll be honest, I am not one as much as I enjoy a a wager on games. I don't get into usually the daily grind of college basketball. A lot of times Um, I'll pick a select day if I can go. Um, Certainly the tournament obviously is, is was one. Um, you know, weekends for college football and in the NFL or some I don't get into the daily grind of baseball. I really don't. I do like um, for most golf tournaments, I'll put 50 or 60 bucks in the pot each week to, to try to get something. But, yeah, I'm I'm not a big, you know, summertime daily grind of baseball guy.
0: Yeah. If you are, you're a psycho. <laughs> probably <laughs> It's 162 games. So
1: Yeah, it's a lot, man. It's a lot. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's jump into the big news of the week. Cincinnati has a new head men's basketball coach. The Bearcats hired UNC Greensboro head coach Wes Miller away from the Spartans. Miller is only 38 years old, but already has 10 years of head coaching experience under his belt at UNC Greensboro. Over the last five seasons, his teams have averaged 25 wins and finished in the top three of the Southern Conference every single year, including three first place finishes and two NCAA tournament appearances. Skinny, did Cincinnati get it right by hiring Wes Miller as their new head coach?
1: I, I never know if get it right's the right question to ask because you don't know until you see how it turns out. But but I will say this. I, I think uh, based on everything we know, it is a good hire. Um, I, I have a good friend of mine. It's a guy that you actually know. He's a huge Xavier fan. He's a Xavier season ticket holder. And when the season ended, he was clamoring for, for Travis Steele's ouster. And he was beating the drum to me about Wes Miller. Got to go get Wes Miller. Got to go get Wes Miller. And so uh, he texted me last night and said, well, UC beat him to the punch, so I, I know there's at least one guy that, that, that thinks it's a, it's a home run hire. I mean, look, the guy's was a proven winner at, at, at Greensboro. I, I like the fact that he's had some stuff along the way where he could have gotten out, but he stuck it out and finally landed himself a pretty major job along the way with UC. Um, so it shows me that he's more than willing to put down roots. Um, he knows what the grind is like in building a program. He built a program. He built a highly successful program in a one-and-done league. Um, so yeah I, I think this is a good hire I you know I, I know the Eric Martin one was one that some fans were looking towards but I just I always thought all along Rick that's just a big reach for a guy with no head coaching experience trying to rebuild a program Um, and that's what this is going to become a rebuilding job for the most part so yeah I I, I, I think Wes Miller's a really good hire I think they did a great job with this especially when you look at other the other names that were out there you had a the Eric Martin route, you had the the Darren Savino route. There was the conversation of would Archie Miller, you know, take his $10 million and decide to come do this. Um, instead, you got a guy who's, who's done a nice job, and this seems like a, the next step up the rung for a guy like that. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good hire.
0: Yeah, it really seemed like Ohio State assistant coach Ryan Peden was the other top candidate aside from Wes Miller. And he had a similar situation to Eric Martin in that he's, an assistant, you know, I mean, has no head coaching experience. A little bit different path, obviously. Not as much the career assistant that Martin has been. But that was one of the first questions I got after this went down on on Twitter. Some people are saying, "Do you like this better than them hiring Aaron, Eric Martin?" And it, it, I wasn't trying to take shots at Eric Martin. I don't really no, know him either. all that well. Yeah, I'm it isn't either, really but... about that to me as much. Correct. But I think your point is the right one. I said I do think it's a. a significantly better hire than hiring Eric Martin would be. And that's not to say Eric Martin wouldn't have a chance to work out, but if you're Cincinnati right now, like you said, skinny, this is a a rebuilding project. You are walking into a mess and you are probably going to need some time regardless of whether you have head coaching experience or not. But I don't know that you want to ask a guy to figure out how to get out of the mess and how to write your program and how to deal with the things that you're going to deal with over the next year. plus while also figuring out how to be a head coach and run the program for the first time, period. I think that's a really steep learning curve that you're asking someone to step into. Miller is a fascinating example because he is still extremely young, that's the funny part. I mean, he's been a 10 year head coach and he's still, he's still a young guy. So, you know, he's super motivated. He still has long-term visions about what his career looks like. You know, everyone thinks he wants to get back to North Carolina. And clearly he was one of the finalists for that job before they picked Hubert Davis. So I think that could be in the cards. I That's something we can talk about maybe because I know people are concerned about that possibility. But ultimately, when you have a guy that is in that situation, he's still this young, but he also has... 10 years of experience of running his own program. That's I think about as well as UC could have
1: asked to do in this situation of building his own program. That's the thing he built that into a consistent power in the conference that was always in the mix to be a, a, an NCAA tournament team in a one and done league. I think the fears of the North Carolina thing are obviously warranted, but here's the thing I would say two things have to happen for West Miller to leave UC at some point for North Carolina. One is Hubert Davis has to fail and I'm not rooting for him to fail, but that has to happen. And they're going to give him at least a three or four year window to see if that works. I would think. And then guess what else would have to happen? West Miller would have to have success at UC. And if he does, he's going to leave the program far better than what he found it. So for those fears, stop fearing it. It it would be actually a good thing for UC. It means he would have rebuilt this program. I mean, here's the thing he could coach. 15 years at UC Hubert
0: Davis could be at North Carolina for 15 years until he's 65 plus. Right. And he would still take over North Carolina earlier than when Roy Williams did. Right. So, I mean, he still has so much career ahead of him that that's, he could quote unquote stay at Cincinnati and have a long career there and still be the next head coach at North Carolina down the line. If it, if it all plays out that way. So, yeah, that's something I mean, Jed set up perfectly on Twitter. If you're worried, about you don't want to hire someone because you're worried about him becoming the next head coach at North Carolina after he right. leaves your place. That's the dumbest reason ever to not want to it hire is because
1: someone. It means he would have had to have done so. He's not going to be able to go 500 at UC in North Carolina Goes hey, let's get Wes Miller. No, that's not how this works. Yeah.
0: As we've talked about many times on this show, the idea of the term stepping stone job is a stupid one. Being worried about your program being a stepping stone is a stupid concern to have because guess what? everyone except for a very few select schools, North Carolina, probably being one of them are a stepping stone for somebody. There's always going to be another job that your guy wants out there more than likely, unless you're Duke or Carolina, maybe Kansas. Although by the way, it's Roy Williams left that Williams free came from Kansas. Right, right. I mean, so there's always that other job that the guy might leave for It's a, it's a silly thing to be worried about. As you've pointed out, the only way that person ever leaves is if he has great success at your school. So do you,
1: do you think that Brad Stevens would have been the Boston Celtics coach if he hadn't at least made one run with Butler, let alone two? Of course no, not. I
0: mean, no, no chance. He doesn't radar.
1: He doesn't even I mean,
0: sniff it. If he doesn't make the second run.
1: Right. Probably not. Um, you know, Rick Pitino left Kentucky for what, what he thought was a better job in the NBA. I mean, there, there is, there's always that job out there for somebody, man.
0: Yeah. So that, I mean, that, that's something that I wouldn't worry about. In terms of Wes Miller as a coach, NKU played at UNC Greensboro last year, one of my first games broadcasting. So I did way too much film work
1: on. You, you, you-, you, you were neck deep, and then you realize. I'm not getting any of this stuff in I, exactly 6,000 things of material. And I'm going to get about 1% of this in, but I, I appreciate I, your homework on it. I, I
0: was a little ambitious last year for those first five, to 10 games. It's, it's all good. It's, I was like that new head coach who thinks you can just grind film for 24 hours straight and I'll be more prepared for the game. Right. It didn't work that way. But that being said, I watched like over a season and a half worth of games of UNC oh Greensboro. And by the way, I mean, this is going through possession by possession. So it's not like, it doesn't take me two hours to get through them like it would. if I, understand, on I understand. I understand that. But man, that being said, man. still about a, a season and a half worth of games. So I had a pretty well, good Jim, I Well, Jim,
1: I, I remember looking at film from that game three years ago when they ran I, that set. And, and I get it, though, dude. You're good.
0: Yeah, you, you're just trying to get a feeling for tendencies and like sure. what they actually do and stuff like that. So the biggest thing to me that stood out were defensive-minded coach all the way. That's where they hang their hat. Loves to live off of live ball turnovers and create easy points on offense with their defense. Love she, that. He went from being, and he talks about this in some of the articles that people have pulled up from his time at UNC Greensboro, where he said, "You know, I I came into this being like, I got to be Roy Williams, my mentor. I got to be stubborn about my man-to-man defense all the time. And he lost a lot of games early and it was really hard. And he realized, I'm not Roy Williams and I'm not that stubborn. I'm going to coach a little bit more to my personnel and we're going to be a team that mixes things up and play some zone. And he developed this three quarter court defense that he likes to play a little bit and they they pressure you they they get steals and they'll switch it up they play mostly man to man but you'll come down one possession and they'll be in a zone all of a sudden or they'll be in some trapping pressure thing that they hadn't shown you yet just to throw you off a little bit just to keep you off balance and just to try to force a few more turnovers which is really kind of their calling card on the defensive side the big men for him are either versatile guys that can move and play multiple positions on the floor, especially defensively, or they're shot blockers and rebounders around the rim, big athletic guys. So I think that's something you'll you'll see that might look a little bit different in, in terms of not having as many skilled scoring offensive big men. You'll see more tough rebounders, athletic type guys. And then on the offensive end, you know, he's had ball dominant guards with, with Isaiah Miller, especially recently, but it's a lot of drive and kick with Shooters lining the perimeter and and his offense is based on a lot of three point shooting. So I think it's kind of in some ways the best of both worlds of what UC fans are looking for right now. They want to bridge the defensive minded toughness ways of the Huggins Cronin years with a path forward to a more modern style of offense with shooting more threes and things like that. And I think to an extent, Wes Miller will do that.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting what you just brought up, the the first part of what you were talking about, Rick, especially with him kind of evolving into his style of play and and not trying to become what Roy Williams was. But you know what a job like UNC Greensboro allows a young coach like that to do, or really any coach who's taking his first head coaching job? It gives him that leeway to do that. And and that's where I go back to the whole bringing an assistant in at this level. That guy's kind of still feeling his way through what his style is going to be. Am I going to play? The way Chris Holtman played as a, as a coach, am I going to play the way Hugs plays as a coach and then takes you two years to figure out Yeah, that doesn't always work that way. And so I thought that was really interesting because then he's able to kind of have the system that he likes, that he's found success with, that he's comfortable with, that he's comfortable probably teaching all of those things. And now he can recruit towards that. I that, That's some good stuff. I like that.
0: Yeah, he's the term he used in one of the articles I read was he he became comfortable in his own skin. And I think that's a great way to put it. You see that a lot of times with coaches. I remember with Chris Mack, that was kind of a big thing. I think both Mack and Steele, having worked under Sean Miller, I think Miller's personality really rubbed off on them. I think both of them kind of wanted to be that do-what-we-do, hard-ass-on-defense style. We're we're pack-line to the core and all that. And I think both of them early in their coaching careers Mac did a good job of it and Steel in my opinion is still kind of dealing with it a little bit Is yeah kind of finding their own voice and becoming comfortable in their own skin I think part of that is maybe shedding some of the stubbornness of being like I got to be like that guy you know because maybe that's not your strength and I think West Miller seems like he's really figured that out he talks a lot about self-evaluation I, I think he's done a good job of that the one thing I I will point out because a lot of people when they look at his UNC Greensboro career, they say, well, man, they really gave him a long leash. He had five or six years before he got that thing going. You also have to understand what type of situation he walked into. He was assistant for one year. The guy that hired him gets fired. The program is in a dumpster, and they hire him. That young, at 27, 28 years old at the time, they hire him after one year and after being the interim, and say, you're our guy, and just tandem the keys to the program at that age They knew what they were doing to a certain extent at that time. They had not seen much winning period. So even those bad years that he had, they weren't all that different from what UNC Greensboro was used to. First of all, it wasn't like those were terrible years at UNC Greensboro. And second of all, they knew it was going to be a rebuilding process. They knew it was going to take time. That's why he got five or six years because he was doing pretty much what they expected. And then all of a sudden he turned UNC Greensboro into something they had never been, which was a consistent contender for five straight years. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. And and it's also a, a good point too. We always talk about everybody is so quick to judge these coaches. Like they can't get better the same way players do over the course of their career. And Wes Miller is a good example of that. I think he's definitely a guy who he was so young when he took over, he was going to need time to improve, figure things out on his own and mature and get better. And he's definitely done that.
1: Yep. By the way, do you know who's never lost a game in Greensboro Coliseum as a coach? I would go with
0: one national championship winning coach, Richard Skinner.
1: That is correct. Want to know on that Coliseum floor, we played our other games in, in kind of in the Coliseum, but they were in a spread out area, but want to know on on his home court. It is a cool arena. And when little you know the no history time. of it, it's, it's pretty neat.
0: I was bummed. We talked about it last year that that game that I called for NKU happened to be at their little on campus right. facility and not at Greensboro Coliseum. So I was a little bit bummed about that, but uh, I was also bummed that the Norris lost by like 17 in that yeah, game. Yeah, there, there's that too. Yes. Dantez Walton didn't play, but yeah. So I overall, uh, I think the Wes Miller hire is, is pretty impressive. I think my last point about this whole situation would be this you can think that John Cunningham completely mishandled the John Brandon situation and completely botched that while also acknowledging that it feels like UC probably made about the best possible hire they could have given the circumstances that those are two different situations and you can be equally critical about one while also saying, I, I think he did probably about as good of a job as he could have with the other.
1: Yeah. I'm in that camp, Rick. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I still feel that John Cunningham put, was put on a, would w- put this on a witch hunt to get John Brandon at all costs, but yes, under the circumstances, this is a, this is a quality hire in my opinion. And, and the, the one thing I will say is, um, he's going to be tied to West Miller. And, um, uh, if West Miller doesn't have success, then that is going to be on John Cunningham right or wrong. But when you look at the landscape of what was out there and the possibilities, you got a guy that's been to the NCAA tournament that's had success rebuilding or building a program who has a long time experience as a head coach who has big aspirations. I think it's pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, when they were going through this search, every name you bring up, I'm sitting there and thinking, I understand that things are in the situation they are and in part due to John Brandon and his staff. But you're telling me I'm supposed to get excited about these names over John right. Brandon? Like after you just had John Brandon, I'm supposed to get excited about hiring a career assistant who's never gotten a sniff as a head coach instead. That would have been, in my opinion, tough to swallow as a fan. At least that you end up with a guy like Wes Miller. Okay, the whole Brandon situation sucked and it probably should have never ended up where it did. At least you feel like now we got a pretty good coach. Had Wes Miller been the coach two years ago when they hired Brandon, I think people would have felt, you know, so fairly excited about it then. And you've right. gotten two more years to witness Miller continuing to, to do his thing and build that program at UNC Greensboro. So I, I, w- I would think this should play out pretty well in the court of public opinion. Obviously the, the big issue right now is the former player still clamoring about not getting Eric Martin.
1: Yeah. And that, that, I get it. I mean, I, I do get that, but l- listen, and I would say this to any of those guys and Eric Martin too, if you want to be a head coach, go to UNC Greensboro and cut your teeth. I mean, that's how it works. That's what I don't understand about this. Why? Why do all these former
0: players and even fans, to a certain extent, think that Huggins' guys should be handed jobs without even showing the interest in right. putting themselves in position to get it? None of them are making the moves to become the next head coach at Cincinnati. Get all of them expect one of them to be hired as the next head coach at
1: Cincinnati. I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't, I'm with you. I, I don't either. I, again. Um, at the stage he's at in his career, you want to be a head coach? You're going to have to go down the ladder before you come up the ladder, my friend. It just, that's how it goes.
0: Or guys like Nick Van Exel and James White and all these, uh, tell them to get a job somewhere. Go coach an AAU team and and prove that you've got recruiting ties somewhere like that. Like they all tell you about how much weight they have in their city and how much they're going to help you recruiting. Go prove it. There are plenty of college programs that will hire you on if you have deep AAU connections right now. Dude, and the jury's still out
1: on Penny Hardaway in that regard too, right? I mean, it just is.
0: Also, that's another thing. People comparing Eric Martin to Jawan Howard and Penny Hardaway, can can we get in the same galaxy right now? Like, those two guys are NBA stars. Everyone knows them when they walk into a room. No one, not even most UC fans born after a certain year, know who Eric Martin is when he walks into a room. Like he right. just ha- he has no cachet from that person other than with some UC fans. But in terms of nationally recruiting, no one's gonna care if Eric Martin walks in their
1: living room. No, I agreed. And and that's where um I think they made a good hire.
0: Yeah. Well, Xavier added another player to its roster when the Musketeers officially announced the addition of Iowa big man Jack Nunji, earlier this week. Nunji averaged 7.1 points, 5.3 rebounds, 1.3 assists, and f- minutes a game in 22 games this past season before suffering a knee injury on February 25th at Michigan. We talked about him on Sunday's college basketball podcast, but now that we have a pretty good feel for what Xavier's roster is going to look like for next season, it brings up some bigger picture questions. Skinny, do you think Travis Steele finally has an NCAA tournament team?
1: Yeah. Yes. On, on paper individually, but how are we going to mesh all these pieces together? Right? I mean, are Nunji and and Fremantle going to play together really? Um, I like their guards. I like, you know, they've got shooters. They got every piece on paper, but how is it going to mesh together? Because I, I thought this past year's team on paper individually had enough talent to be an NCAA tournament team. And not even that, I thought it had the talent to be kind of a, Six, seven, maybe eight seed in the tournament, and and still didn't get in. So, so how are how are we going to mesh these pieces together? That's the most interesting thing to me. And you go back to the whole stubborn part of it. Does Travis Steele change the stubbornness of just a pack line defensive guy to maybe being more of a zone guy because he's got guys that he's got some guys that just can't guard man to man, and he has some length and maybe utilize that length with some some trapping in the half court, and playing some more zone and. And we talk about evolving as a coach. And, you know, you mentioned Wes Miller kind of self-evaluating. Maybe Travis has to swallow hard and self-evaluate his roster and his way of doing things and saying, I, this this best fits my personnel to maybe play more zone, maybe play exclusively zone, maybe play 85%, whatever. Uh, that to me is the pay. Is the, I, I think individually, talent-wise on paper, absolutely. How do the pieces mesh?
0: This has to be an NCAA tournament team for Travis Steele, if we're being honest. Like, right. if it's not... I don't know that he gets fired, but in my opinion, he loses the fan base and, and the donors in a way that he probably never yeah, wins them back. He, he's just yeah. not the guy at Xavier. And so maybe they, you know, they did do that one year rollover extension after his first year or second year. So he's now out to, I think, 2024 with this contract. You have to do that
1: for, and you have to do that for recruiting purposes. If you right. still think the guy has a chance, right? I mean, so, that's, that's kind of natural.
0: Right. And given him and some of the tie-ins and money situations, I, I could see them saying, look, we're not going to pay a buyout. We're going to give him one more year, even if he doesn't make this tournament this coming year. If something happens, what what, what have you? I don't know that's an automatic firing for him. But again, it, he has to make the tournament this year with this roster. Or he loses this program in a way that he won't get it back, in my opinion. And I, I guess my concern would be this team is good enough to make the tournament, but I don't think they're going to be the team that a lot of fans want them to be. I still look at this. And last year, a lot of the the issues I had with the Xavier team coming down the stretch was how many times did it feel like they had the best player on the court in big East games when they were struggling? I mean, even the games they won sometimes, how often did they have the best player on the court?
1: They did when they played played Butler.
0: That's right. And by the way, they lost to Butler at the end. I know that's, yeah, that's my my point. (laughs) Not great, but that's kind of the thing is, it's a lot of the same guys. Yeah, you added a Jack Nunji. You're not playing on him being the best player on the court. So I still have that concern of do they have enough high-end talent to beat some of these Big East teams to get stops, things of that nature. And and defensively, you bring up a good point. I mean, what are they going to do with ball screens this year? Because Jason Carter was much better at moving and getting lateral and hedging and all that with ball screens or switching than Jack nungie is going to be. And they're definitely going to play Jack Nunji and Zach Fremantle together. So what are you going to do with ball screens this year? Is the answer mixing up with some zones? Are you going to mix in drop coverages and ball screens, especially with a guy with Nunji's length? I think all those things need to be on the table and and need to be evaluated and, and at least thought about. I don't know what the exact right answer is, but you're right. He's going to have to figure out how to bring these pieces together and make it work because this team, with the experience he has, with the fact that all these guys are another year older, the talent is there. It has to be an NCAA tournament team.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that. It, it absolutely has to be. I do have a question about, about. I, I'm honestly surprised Deontay Miles is still on the roster. Do you think he sticks it out or do you think he puts himself it in, in the transfer portal before it's all said and done?
0: I think he sticks it out. Uh, wow. I've not heard anything wow. about him transferring. Again, the idea here is that Jack nungie is the starting four alongside Zach Fremantle and, deontay miles is still the backup big man i mean he's he's kind of the third big in that rotation among those three guys assuming things work out well now could things change could it be different if cesar edwards bumps up in front of him an incoming freshman and takes away his minutes as as the third big man yeah like that, maybe that'll change and deontay will think differently but no i have not heard anything about him considering other options at this point we'll see if that changes
1: interesting interesting
0: skinny i got an interesting question from an ask skinny anything standpoint but i think right now is probably the best time to ask it considering the uh, topics we're talking about right now so if you Our could, way, baby. if you could switch places with one of the two coaches in the city travis Steele entering year four at xavier or Wes miller entering year one at cincinnati all things considered who would you trade places with
1: um honestly i think i trade places with Wes miller because I, I i'm I get a chance to start from scratch, kind of, and build my roster. And in the wild, wild west of the transfer portal, I get a chance to probably go get some talented guys right off the bat. And that's not a knock on Xavier's talent. I, I think Xavier has, it, as we just talked about, individually talent-wise enough to make an NCAA tournament. Um, but I think I'd trade with Wes Miller at the moment.
0: Yeah, I think the key here is where he says all things considered, meaning he's clearly saying like, I, I want you to factor in the dumpster fire that's going on at UC and the fact that Xavier is in like a must win year going into year four. I think that's what it comes down to is if you're Wes Miller, you feel like you've got a decent amount of leash here because one, they just fired a coach way too soon. So, you know, as long as John Cunningham is still the AD You're going to have a little more leash this time around. You can't make that decision twice in a row. Can't get rid of another coach too soon. Second of all, John Cunningham is the one who created part of this dumpster fire that you're taking over as the head coach. So there's got to be some leash given there as well. I I mean, I think that's the big key here is if you're taking the West Miller route, you
1: know that you have some years to work with. And it's going to be a tougher road initially,
0: but you've got some time.
1: It isn't, it isn't. I mean, I'm really fascinated by how the transfer portal works out for 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 guys. And and certainly that becomes a chemistry issue because then you got to mesh them all together. But there's so many guys out there, it feels like that if you've got as many open spots on a roster as UC does, it feels like you're gonna get some talented guys somewhere along the way.
0: Yeah, but how many high major guys are there? I don't I don't I don't know. I mean honestly, a lot I, of these guys I, are
1: going down a level. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I guess, but I still think there's going to be enough talent out there where you're still going to get some good, talented players. I
0: mean, I I hear you, but like, for instance, I'm not
1: here here to tell you that you're going to make this a final four team right off the bat, but I think at least you can survive year one with this and then kind of get the, get hit the ground running and recruiting at the high school level and get things back on track there. And that's where all things considered. I think I trade places with Wes Miller.
0: Yeah, I would just go back. Like, we're talking about Xavier landing Jack Nungy. I think Xavier did about as well as they could have in the transfer portal this year for what they were looking for, needing size, you know, wanting someone that could maybe play that forward spot with free. Well, and, 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 getting, and
1: getting Scruggs coming back didn't hurt either.
0: Yeah, well, that has yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. I'm talking about in the transfer yeah. portal, the guys that were available for Xavier that were new players coming to them. I think Jack Nungy is almost as good as they had available to them that they, they could have gotten. So... And that was one guy I, I didn't really see much else there. Everyone keeps talking about how much there is in the transfer portal. I'm just saying for this level, for a team that's a high major, but you're not Duke or Kentucky, or getting like the five elite guys that enter the portal. You're not getting Walker Kessler. What is there? Is there enough to just build five, six new new guys into your roster with the transfer portal at
1: that level? I, I, I don't I think know. There, you know? I, th- I think there may be. I think there are guys. I just don't I, I think know if they're good I think enough. it's fascinating. It's, it's, it is fascinating to see how this is going to play itself out.
0: It will be, it will be really entertaining
1: to watch. Because when musical chairs are over, are there going to be some, I don't know about high-level guys, but certainly guys that started on some, some decent teams maybe that are going to be looking around going, wait a minute, the chairs stopped spinning, and where am I going to land? Um, oh, they've got a spot here at Elon. Okay. I mean, is that where we're going to go with this? I, I, don't, I don't know.
0: I don't think there's going to be many high-level guys left in the portal to be quite honest with you, but I I am interested to see, is there like a second wave of guys, the guys who, well, like you were kind of talking about with maybe a Deontay miles where they, they get there, they kind of see what things are looking like. And all of a sudden after uh, some summer workout, they start feeling like, Hey, I'm not in the rotation this year either. And then they start looking elsewhere late right. in summer. Does that does that give us a new recruiting window late in the summer where guys start hitting the portal again? We've seen some of that a little bit, like with the Adam Kunkel situation last year, where he he entered the portal really late and was it was like midsummer, and Xavier was able to add him then. So uh, all that stuff will be interesting to watch this year. Yep. Which by the way, they did just pass that rule where the one-time transfer rule is in effect. Both football and basketball in the NCAA, you will get that one time to transfer. You won't have to sit out a year. Well, welcome to the Wild Wild West, baby. It's Game on. Only going up from here, Skinny. All yep. right. Coming into Thursday morning as we're recording this, the Reds are on a two-game losing streak and have lost four of their last five after getting off to a 5-1 and start. One of the bigger storylines already of the 2021 season is the role of relief pitcher T.J. Antone, who has a flawless ERA with nine strikeouts and six and two-thirds innings pitched over three appearances. His last one was a dominant three and two-thirds inning performance with no hits and five strikeouts against the Giants. Antone clearly has some of the best, if not the best, stuff period on the Reds pitching staff. The question is, should he take someone's spot in the starting rotation or stay in the bullpen as a long relief guy?
1: For now, I'm going to stick with the long relief guy, and that sounds counterintuitive because I, I'm the one that, before the year started, thought he should be in the rotation, and and um, I've loved his stuff all along. As you know, we've talked about him a bunch in the offseason. Look, Sonny Gray's coming back, and that's going to bump, um, you know, uh, Jeff Hoffman or Jose De Leon out of the rotation long term at some point. I'm not so sure De Leon maybe isn't better suited for the pen. Um, he's gotten hit around a little bit, but if you also look – He's averaging like two strikeouts an inning. It's, I think he's got 18 strikeouts and nine in the third innings, Rick. That tells me he's getting a lot of people to, to, to miss his pitches and maybe in a shorter window that better suits him. Um, I, I'm not bumping Wade Miley at this point. I mean, Wade Miley may eventually bump himself because he'll get hurt, but right now he's he's been great. You're not bumping Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray's back in. Uh, you're not bumping Tyler Malley. So really we're down to one spot in a rotation. And I think for the time being, I'd rather, and this is going to sound silly probably, you're going to probably disagree, I'd rather my fifth guy in the rotation, whoever that is between Hoffman or DeLeon, I'd rather that spot be a little weaker with TJ Antone being able to pitch multiple times a week. I'm not talking five because he's probably going to be extended to two or three innings, but I'd rather have TJ Antone pitching two or three times a week versus once every five days.
0: So I'm with you on that. And I don't know. I'm sure there's some stats, advanced analytics nerd that's going to tell me why that's the wrong answer. And they're going to cite how many innings pitched or something over the course of the season. And, and, and maybe there's logic to that. I don't know. Maybe the best answer is putting Antone in your starting rotation and giving the ball every fifth day as a starter, because he clearly is one of your best pitchers. There's no, no doubt about that.
1: But I think but- in today's day and age, though, I I'm looking more at innings than who starts. Well, there's that,
0: but I am fascinated by this idea of, especially with a, a staff that isn't as good as it was a season ago, where you don't have as many games where a guy takes the mound and you say, okay, we've got a really good shot of winning today. You really well, like i I, I so.
1: think right now with the way Miley's pitching and putting Sonny Gray back in it, I feel really good about four spots in that rotation. I mean, really good.
0: I, I think you feel pretty good about okay you're gonna get a decent effort but in terms of like talent you're not looking that it's not a Trevor Bauer situation where you're going okay Trevor Bauer's going against this guy Reds got a clear advantage then you've got Luis Castillo against their number two Reds have a pretty good then Sonny Gray against their number three Uh, you know I mean the top half of that rotation last year top three of that rotation last year was pretty talented to the point that most times you're like no matter who they're facing you're in a really good spot this year Okay, you may feel like they can get it done, but I don't think too often you're going to say, oh, the Reds have a clear advantage in that starting spot. But what you do have with TJ Antone is anytime someone gives you that good start and gets you into four, five, six innings with a lead, then all of a sudden you feel like, well, we can shut this game down now. Put Antone in for two or three innings and then get him to Gary. And we're done. We'll get out of here. And that is an interesting way to go about this, in my opinion, especially in an era where... Starters aren't going as long and they're right. getting pulled out in the fifth and sixth inning consistently. I kind of like the idea of saying, okay, every time we have a really good start, we're then going to use Antone and use him to hammer down. Or anytime we're in a really high leverage situation and we've got a one run lead in the sixth or seventh inning, that's where we bring Antone in for an inning in a third or two innings, or well, that's why I more. go back to.
1: So, so so if I get if I get seven innings a week out of TJ Antone. And that equates over the span of a season, 162 innings pitched. Do I want that or do I want him once every fifth day? And you're right. And and I'm bringing him in not when I'm down five to two. I'm bringing him in when I'm up five to two to hammer this thing down. So I'm bringing him in to to, to more games that that you get a chance to hang on to the win with. I I think I'm leaning in that direction to be. I'm not even leaning. I think if that's me, I'm going in that direction with it.
0: I definitely want to see how it plays out longer. Because I liked it. I liked the idea of where this is headed. I, what was it? Tuesday night, I think it was, where they used him for that two and a thirds or yes. the three and two thirds innings yes. uh, against the Giants where you know he, he almost nailed down a four inning save. That was fun to watch for, from my perspective. And that felt like, oh man, I really liked the idea of using this guy in a high leverage game like this where you've got a great start. You've got a lead here. Let's get this one across the plate. Let's let's get a win here. Put Antone in. Let him roll for three or four innings. And that's yes. what, that's the way they used it. And and then they were able to get out of there when he tired out after I think it was like 70 something pitches. But
1: right. But, but and that's why I, I think we talked about this last summer. I, I'm just in that ilk anymore. We have to stop pigeonholing these guys as one inning guys. Right. We, we have to stop with that. And baseball has to stop with that. You know, Amir Garrett was once a starter. Why does he suddenly get pigeonholed as a one inning guy? Why can't he be a five out guy if he need five outs? like why, why? You know, when Michael Lorenzen comes back, whenever that may be, and that may not be for a long, long time, but a guy like Lorenzen last year, why couldn't he come and pitch three innings to shut down something? And especially if he's throwing the ball well, I, I, I think that's the way we You just need to start thinking in terms of bullpen. And TJ Anton's a great case study in that because I, I think he's got a chance to be a. Like I said, 140, 150-inning relief pitcher, which you just don't see anymore. You used to see a lot back in the day. I hate to go back in the day. You just don't see that a lot anymore, but I think he's the kind of guy that can do that, and I'd rather have him more often than less often.
0: Yeah, there does have to be somewhat of a philosophical shift there from a coaching perspective if you're going to do it, though, because I don't think you can do it just with one guy in the back of your bullpen saying, oh, I'm going to use him for three innings today because you then, then all of a sudden you start wearing your bullpen out in a weird way because not all the other guys can go two or three in. You might have other guys but in your...
1: And that and, and that's fine, but I'm going to use those guys a lot of times when it's when I'm down six to two and CNL Perez, sure. see if you can hold them where they're at, my man. Go get me an inning, and I'm going to use another guy and get those guys the work. Then that's I'm using I'm using the TJ Antones, and honestly, I'm not so sure De Leon doesn't fit in this mix. If you have to bump him to the bullpen and say, listen, today you give me as much as as you can give me, like Antone the other night, he finally, as you mentioned, tired out. That's fine. You give me three and a third and seventy pitches, I I, I love it. I would love it.
0: Well, and I think the Reds, and I'm sure a lot of baseball rosters are like this, but the Reds are in a position right now, especially where they have some of those versatile in between arms, the Michael Lorenzen's, you know, Amir Garrett, you know, they have guys that have been stretched out that clearly can handle more than just one inning of work, and and it's definitely something that needs to be looked at more. But right now, with the T.J. Antone role, the way they are using them. I love it. I'm all for it. I say keep rolling that way until you're forced to make a decision. If it so happens that you have to have another starter at some point, then yeah, move them into that role. But for right now, let's just keep it rolling like this and see how well that works. They, yeah, yeah, they've struggled a little bit here recently, but they still have a winning record, and I'll take the way they've started the season off. Yeah, agreed. All right, switching gears one more time here, Skinny. You have started a new series on Local12.com, taking a look at the Bengals drafts of recent memory. And one of the columns you just posted this past Monday was about the Bengals being on path to digging out of some of their recent disastrous drafts. Of course, those basically started in 2015 and it's been a lot of bad drafts all the way through 2020 since then. There's one or two in there that maybe you can mix in and give a decent grade to. Uh, But I guess, Where are you at with this? Give me some more of the background here on on the piece you posted Monday. How are they on a path to dig out of those bad drafts?
1: Yeah, well, you know, obviously this was a team in a franchise that believed um, for a long time of building through the draft. Um, Very rarely did they dip their toe into free agency in a major way. Um, And those drafts panned out. Um, You go back to some of the late 2000 drafts through. You know, even 2013, you got Tyler Eifert and Giovanni Bernard at the top of that draft, and they became pretty good players when they were healthy. Um, you know, you look at Gino Atkins was a was a mid-round pick in, what, it was 2010. You got the 2011 draft, had Andy and AJ. And, and right now on this roster, you look up, and, and suddenly there's nobody left from the 13 draft. There's nobody left from the 14 draft. Um, and there's one guy left from the 15 draft, and that's CJ Uzama. That's it. And so those are the guys from, from you know, 14, 15, 16, 17's drafts should kind of be the core of this football team, right? Well, they're not. And that's where I think this past two off seasons ago, um, after Zach Taylor's first year, when they went so heavy into free agency, I think that was a shift for them because they realized they needed to fill their roster. And so then you fill last year's draft in. And whether anybody else is a home run or not, you got a home run at the top two spots in the draft. I think we'll agree with that with Joe Burrow and T Higgins. That's a good place to start. And you probably have a, for a rare time, a starting linebacker, at least one of those guys, probably Logan Wilson, more than a Keem Davis gaither, but you're going to end up with three pretty good starters out of, you know, two, two franchise level starters and a, and a starter out of the first three picks, Like right, That's another good step forward. Then this off season, again, you dip back hard into free agency and now you have a chance with a fifth pick in this year's draft to, to add another immediate success. So I do think that's where it shows. You can see how they bottomed out at two and 14 and we can look at Zach Taylor and point to him and maybe he's a buffoon and maybe he is a buffoon, but I think two and 14 was still more a product of where that roster had gone to. And last year, much more competitive. I know that doesn't mean a whole lot to anybody, but kind of took the uptick up a little bit, not a lot of bit, not to the point where you feel great about Zach Taylor, but you'd see the roster was a little bit better. And I think going into this year, I look and go, hey, this roster's good enough to, to at least get you to maybe a, a winning record if things go right and, and you stay healthy. Um I like Joe Burrow drafted in 2020. I like T Higgins drafted in 2020. I like Tyler Boyd drafted in 2016. And and one of the few guys out of that draft that's still around. I like the 2018 group of Jesse Bates and Sam Hubbard. I want to extend them, but I like them. And I got Darius Phillips, a fourth corner out of that draft and my kickoff returners out of that draft, Brandon Wilson. So I, I think you see some of those parts now start to become the nucleus, but you can see where they completely whiffed on some of those drafts. Um, you know, in 15, 16, 17, some of 18, a, a, a little bit with the top with Billy Price. I mean, I, you did get Bates and Hubbard, but you missed with your first round pick. You kind of paid the price for that. And now you've had to supplement with the off seasons of free agency. I think they've done a pretty good job, in my opinion, of, of uh, attacking free agency. I know it's not to the point where Bengals fans are going gaga over names, but I think they've done a quality job of getting talent for the right price and letting some guys go that probably weren't worth paying. William Jackson the third, Carl Lawson. So, yeah, I think they are on the path to digging themselves out. But some of it was out of necessity because they did at least have a shift in Boy, our drafts have been so bad. We better fix this roster and fix it fast. And that's what I think you've seen for the last couple of off seasons.
0: You posted another piece on Tuesday or Wednesday uh, where you gave out grades for all these drafts and, and really went into detail of what happened in each one. And 2020 got the best grade from you. Makes sense. That was the year you took Joe Burrow, but it's also the year where there's just the jury's still out on a lot of these guys, sure. so it's hard to be too pessimistic about them. They, they, they're they making some contributions, so it's kind of tough to make a call. So they got, that got the best grade from you. But after that, if you take 2020 out of the equation, 2018 got the next best grade from you, correct? What what was it about the 2018? You kind of just brought it up, but, I mean, they did have Billy Price at the top of that one. I right. think most people it, would consider him a bust.
1: Yeah, no, well, I don't know about bust still. I, I, there's a part of me that still thinks Billy's going to be a starting center in this league. I, I There's a part of me that really believes that deep down. But you got Bates. You got Hubbard. You got Darius Phillips. Um, you got Auden Tate at the bottom of that draft. Um, that's that's pretty I mean, you got you – got, and you had a lot of picks that year. You had three fifth-round picks. You had three seventh-round picks. Um, Billy Price was a reach at the time. They felt they needed a center, and with Frank Ragnar off the board, they had to do it. I, it was the right pick at the wrong time, if that sounds right. I get why they did it. But you got a Pro Bowl safety in the second round. You got a starting caliber end in the third round. Devontae Harris is still kicking around the league. Uh, He just kind of ran into a numbers game at corner. Darius Phillips is is a good fourth corner. Logan Woodside was taken in the seventh round. and Believe it or not, he's still in the league with the Tennessee Titans. And Auden Tate at the bottom. I didn't give it an A, mind you. I think I gave it, what, a B or a B minus?
0: Yeah, I think it was B minus.
1: B minus, which, again, not exactly wows you. But I, I think the fact that you got two players in rounds two and three that are really good. I, I think that bumps that grade up. And that's kind of what I even said. I said that they, those guys kind of helped bump the grade up. And the fact that Tate was such a steal in the seventh round bumps the grade up to a B minus. Cause there were some big, wh- there were some whiff. I mean, Malik Jefferson that year was taken with Mark Walton. Who's only committed about 10 crimes, you know, since, since he got drafted, that was a bad pick to begin with. That was a whiff. Andrew Brown was a whiff. And I, I never look at seventh round guys as whiffs. I mean, you're just throwing darts against the wall at that point, but, Two of their seventh-round picks are still in the league, Logan Woodside and Auden Tate. That's pretty good drafting, really. And
0: then the class that got the lowest grade from you was the 2015 class, kind of the, the first class that kicked off this whole case study. And they're they're kind of the poster group for bad Bengals drafts here, right, with Obway well, and yeah, Jake it, Fisher at the top?
1: Yeah, if you think about that that group, that's where some of those guys, and the Bengals were good at that, right? They were good at giving guys second contracts. Um, if they earn them. And some guys third contracts. And that's where that group should be a chunk of them on their second contract with the Bengals. Cedric Obway, gone. He's still in the league with Seattle, but a backup. Jake Fisher was a bust. Tyler Croft is still in the league, but he's a backup with Buffalo. And then we get the Paul Dawson, third round linebacker bust. Josh Shaw, fourth round corner bust. Marcus Hardison, fourth round. He got hurt. Uzama is a starting tight end with the Bengals. And then sixth and seventh round, Darren Smith and, and Mario Alford. Darren Smith was a was a capable special teams player, but out of that draft, you should have a chunk of those guys be the core of your football team and you got one guy left and it's the tight end in an offense that doesn't use the tight end very much.
0: That's not
1: ideal. That, that's why you're in the pickle you're in.
0: Yes, it is. I mean, in,
1: in, 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 if things had worked out the way they had planned, Cedric he would be the left tackle right now. Jake Fisher would be the right tackle and we wouldn't be have to mess with with Riley Reef or then drafting Jonah Williams when you did. You could have gone a different direction with with that draft or with the, this offseason. Instead, You had to go that direction with the draft two years ago because you desperately needed a a left tackle and you have still been searching for a right tackle ever, you know, for the last four or five years. And so they had to go get Riley reef. That was supposed to be solved with that 2015 draft. It was not.
0: I have another ask any anything question that fits in kind of perfectly with this conversation. So let me throw this in now. Uh, Kyle wants to know, are we even having the debate between soul and chase if our 17 or 18 first rounders aren't completely worthless, if John Ross and 17 and Billy price and 18 are even decent, we can draft Pitts at five and go win a playoff game this season. Assuming price plays guard your thoughts, skinny.
1: No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, You know, John Ross should be now on his second contract. Um, You know, he was allowed to leave his rookie contract ended last year, his four year rookie contract. And so they said, see you later. And rightfully so, but John Ross, John Ross was drafted to be the guy you're hoping to draft Jamar Chase to become. I mean, that's supposed to be John Ross was supposed to be your top taker offer. And he never evolved into that guy. And, and I think he's right about that. Same for, for, for Billy, you know, e- even if, I mean, I'll go back to, if Billy had panned out as a center, I mean, maybe it's Trey Hopkins is, is, is the starting guard right now. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with the guy on that.
0: All right. Anything else be on the Bengals before we wrap up and head to a little abbreviated asking Any anything segment here.
1: No, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see what, what, what takes place. And we'll talk more about the draft in the next couple of weeks. But honestly, and, and by the way, we'll, I'm going to start our position analysis starting on Monday, kind of looking at where the Bengals are at each position each day and who's available in the draft and and where the Bengals may take somebody and some names to to, to look at um, for that position group. So that'll start Monday and roll through uh, the following Wednesday when I'll do the final seven-round mock draft uh, for the Bengals. Uh, but yeah, um, it, it's fascinating to see where – um the, the possibility of that trade back coming into play um or are we going to come down to the either or chase or soul because i there, there's i think if you put a poll question up rick and you put who would you draft in the first round chase soul pits or other i think you get pretty much 20 pits and 40 soul 40 chase i really believe that
0: i think you're right yeah i don't i don't, I don't think you'll get any disagreements on that all right, let's get into some uh, questions here from people on the ask Skinny anything side of things. There are some things that we missed last week that I'll go back to. And All right. for, one of them was about the Bengals Ring of Honor class. We talked about it, but we never actually gave our picks. Someone told me of, of who Could we would wait. put in there as our two two guys. So um, who would it be skinny if you had your choice? among those other two spots in the Bengals ring of honor to go along with Um, Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz, who would you choose?
1: I would probably go, and one of them is completely off the radar, but he's the only player in franchise history to have his number retired, actually, and it's the first Bengals draft pick ever, Mr. Bengal Bob Johnson, and then probably, and Ken Anderson's a no-brainer for me. Ken Anderson is a clear cut of the two that, that you're putting in. He is clearly one of the two, and then the second guy is completely open for debate. In, in my opinion and that debate will, will will be interesting to see how the fans vote when the names are, are put out there the season ticket holders vote but for me my two are, are mr bengal bob johnson who has uniform number 54 retired and uh and and ken anderson
0: yeah I th- to me ken anderson is the one where it's a no-brainer because right. one yep. he he just is that good and, and means that much to the Bengals organization but also he's one of the guys that i think bridges some of the gaps generationally the older fans know love him but the younger people have seen him around the the organization for long right. enough. Now they know what he means. I think he's a guy that everyone is on board with. It's an easy call. After that, I think you start getting to, into some muddy water, some gray areas, and you start talking a lot more about generational fights here and and who wins out. Right. And we should mention that uh, one thing that we, we hadn't really figured out yet because it, it,
1: they hadn't well had they had, the yeah, we're, as we were recording right correct they, they they're they're waiting the vote by the way
0: yeah that that the, we, we talked about the season ticket holder thing and how that could get murky but they did have one kind of fail safe involved there where however many years you've been a season ticket holder will be how many votes you get essentially when but, you but, cast your vote for someone in the ring of honor meaning if you've been around for 25 years as a season ticket holder your vote will count as 25 votes for ken anderson or whoever you vote for
1: yeah and i I think i do like that to be honest with you i think that's a good thing but then i also go what if grandpa ted says to little jimmy his teenage grandson jimmy you make my vote for me
0: sure and that's going to happen i don't think there's a lot you could do about it i think the the right choice is As the organization, you make it yourself and you get it right. And and I'll be
1: honest, if if I'm the organization too, I'm I'm limiting the names too. I'm not putting 15 names on the ballot. I'm limiting it very much to where I think it's going to be narrowed down to only a handful of guys who deserve this honor. I'm not stretching out to to guys who I think if I had a 10-member class would be in, but I'm not stretching it out to a bunch of different names.
0: Right. I I think that's right, and that's another way they can kind of control it a little bit themselves. But I think the idea there is you want – to the fans to feel like they have some ownership in this and feel like no, they're a part of this. And book. you want to pass get the, the
1: book. Let's let's be, you want to pass the book.
0: I agree with you there, but I, I do think there is some, some logic to letting the fans be a part of it and creating some excitement and some conversation around the vote. So uh, it's not all bad in my opinion. And I think the ideal of waiting the vote with the years of season ticket holdership Yeah, I, I think I do idea.
1: like, I, I do think I like that. I I, I think that's, That's a nice. I don't want to call compromise, but I think that's a pretty good decision to me. All right, so who's who's your guys? We both agree on Ken. Ken Anderson Anderson is no doubt. That's clearly a no brainer.
0: Yeah, I tell you what, the Ken Riley to me might be the best name to put in there. But I also kind of, but but he
1: wasn't wasn't even the best cornerback on his team when he played. And I love Ken Riley. Well, that's that's what you always talk about. And then you
0: also got the the situation where I don't mean to be crass about it, but. The guys who have died, I feel like there's a little less urgency. I'm with you on to that. put in the, because I, I don't you,
1: think you're being. I'm with you.
0: Yeah, because you already waited too long there, so it's like, yeah, th- those guys definitely need to be honored, but I think maybe you push some of the guys to the front of the line who are who are getting older right now. Maybe you know, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's nice that Anthony Munoz is still in such good health, and he's the easy number one. Well, sure, I, think, I mean,
1: he's clear cut. I mean, that's not yeah, even it's, yeah, not it's even not even a enough. question.
0: Ken Anderson, I think, is a really easy second choice there. Man, I think with that other spot from my era, I'm talking about Chad Johnson in that I spot. think you're right. I,
1: I think you're right. I, as much as I I think to me, Bob Johnson's the easy one because you retired his number. He was your first pick. He did start for 10 years. He was a quality player, all the things that you'd want. I mean, retiring in numbers to me is still a pretty big it's a pretty big deal, in my opinion. Um, that sounds like a ring of honor type guy. But if, if I take Bob Johnson out of the equation, because he was, he was a very good player. He was never, you know, great, great. He did start at center on three playoff teams. So he was a big part of that. But to me, I think the debate, honestly, if I had to debate somebody, would be between Lamar Parrish and Chad Johnson. I'm kind of with you. I mean, if you look at Chad Johnson – and I just did a, a piece when you're talking about all the things I was doing with the, like looking back at Bengals draft history, I did a five best first round picks yesterday. I'm doing five worst first round picks. And AJ Green was the second best number one, first round pick in franchise history behind Anthony Munoz. But AJ Green is second in franchise history in receptions, receiving yards and touchdowns. You know, he's got all, 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 all ones in that category. Ocho. Saint yep. Bill. I mean, right or wrong, that still speaks volumes.
0: Well, and for anyone born after 19 what 80ish 85 probably is, is a fair cutoff point yeah. the face of this franchise is Chad Johnson. Yeah, I mean, Corey Dillon maybe arguably had a, a, as good or better of a career but it was all losing years. The the only time of my life that the Bengals have been successful and fun to watch, Chad Johnson was the guy and he was the face of the team. He's what part of what made them fun and part of what made them entertaining. I don't know if he has the the most prestigious career to put there, but he's right there in terms of Bengals' greats. And I think for a lot of the younger generation of fans, he's going to be the name that stands out the most and carries the most weight. I think it makes a lot of sense for him to be that other guy.
1: Yeah, Rick, and I I know that they're stretching this out over the years, and that's all well and good. And I'm glad that, that, again, I want to be clear that I'm glad they're finally doing this. Um, it's never too late to to not do something li- or to do something like this, in my opinion. So good for them for doing it. But we, we, I mean, we're debating guys, and we haven't even gotten to Isaac Curtis. We haven't even gotten to Boomer. We haven't even gotten to Corey Dillon. We haven't even gotten to to Willie Anderson. Willie I mean, Anderson's just... the
0: one where I, I tell you what, he might be next in line for me after Chad Johnson. The only thing is, you can't put Anthony Munoz and Willie Anderson in at the same time.
1: No, no, but but I mean, th- think about. I just go back to. I think we'd have a debate if you got to a 10 member initial class of, of, of 11, 12, 13, and 14. And as the years go along, we're going to start looking and going, well, at what point do we put AJ Green in? And I know you're going to laugh at this. And what point do we put Andy Dalton in? I mean, there's going to be guys like that, too, that you're going to have to look at.
0: Right, I mean, right. honestly. That did make me
1: laugh. It did, five playoffs is five playoffs, man. I, I don't, I don't care how you look at it. He took him to five playoffs, right or wrong.
0: Fair enough. Uh, another question from last week. <laughs> this had this had a tie-in with the national championship game that's no okay. longer really relevant. But still uh who are skinny's favorite charge takers of all time?
1: <laughs> um I don't know about charge taking but I love Aaron Kraft because Aaron Kraft would oh. talk about sit sitting down in a chair, man. That cat that cat would sit in the chair. Or charge
0: taking uh, he's I mean, perfect I mean, for both, yeah. Dude,
1: the, the best one in college in, in at least in my lifetime of watching guys take charge. Shane Battier was a master at it just a master at, do, at taking charges
0: I'm already over this conversation I'll be okay. honest I well, think you we asked need the, to move on I know look
1: I know it didn't come from me it came from
0: someone else and I regret I, reading it after I started but it was I was I gave, already
1: into it I gave the answer the answer to me is Shane Battier he was a master at taking a charge you had a pretty good answer for it I'll give you
0: that but I have no interest in taking that conversation <laughs> any farther than right there uh any crazy stories of running into someone famous non-sports related?
1: Who non-sports related? Let me think. Yeah, uh, believe it or not, I was at the derby. What year was that? 0405. And I I guess it was oh 05, must maybe 06 or 07. No, I guess it was 05 because I wasn't in the newspaper business anymore. Oh, I I was working at Turfway Park. So I went down for the weekend and um, we had to do a radio show the morning of the Derby. But me and three other people actually bought box seats for that year's Derby down, down on the, I mean, we were, we were just barely past the finish line. It was either Smarty Jones won in the rain. And so I was going to either get a drink or go make a wager. I can't remember which. And as I come around the corner, I, I bump into, and I literally mean bump into Anna Nicole Smith. Whoa. Yes. Whoa is right the late Anna Nicole Smith, but yes, that was a, that was a major, that was a, that was a, that was a a major whoa moment of bumping into somebody.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. I, is that the best place on earth to run into a random celebrity? Is the Kentucky yes. Derby? It's the best yes. chance to really mingle with big time celebrities. If you're a commoner like us,
1: I, I don't know about the mingle, but it's it's just you see them all over the place, and it, it stops. Well, oh, to well.
0: literally bump into them! I think there's yes, not correct. a lot of chances correct. to have that opportunity in your life.
1: Yes, that that is correct. That's a good. That's a very good point. So yeah, that was the same year that Charles Barkley or not Charles Barkley, Charles Oakley rather was in this godforsaken lime green suit. Can you imagine a 6'9 guy built like Charles Oakley in a lime green suit, how that looked.
0: Yeah, that's not a good call.
1: Not a good look. No, no.
0: All right. I like this question. I think this may have been a Twitter trend at one point because I feel like we talked about this during quarantine, but I maybe or maybe someone asked a question that had to do with this, but wasn't the same question. I don't know. Anyway, I'll just ask the question here. It is. What three products would you sponsor if you could? has to be a realistic item that you actually use regularly. So not BMW Brewing. I don't know why I'm getting called out there. Do they think I'm I'm a BMW guy? <laughs> Did they think that was just something I was going to do there? I was
1: um so what three products would I endorse?
0: Yeah, but I, I like this. It has to be something that you like that you could theoretically endorse right now because you use it all the time already. And you, know, you know they're not saying like you're just going to go out and get some exotic sports star sure. sponsorship no, no. because you like it. What what would well, you actually endorse right now?
1: um that's that's a good question i, I would endorse heineken
0: yeah <laughs> really would i, I mean you I, gotta have a beer sponsorship correct, in there right i would correct one of the first things that came to my mind was braxton
1: Summer okay yeah that's fine for me yeah Those but i'm, beers. I'm a, I, yeah i'm 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 more of a i'm a heineken guy so i i, I would endorse heineken so uh I, that's that's one believe it or not richard skinner here for toasty che- toasty cheese it's it's my go-to <laughs> snack
0: yeah toast and cheese it's i could see that <laughs> I, it's That's
1: my go-to sna- it's my go-to snack man i gotta I, I can't lie um what would a third one be holy cow you're gonna <laughs> pimp your
0: toyota camry
1: yeah i can't do that I, I if i was gonna do it i'd have to do like a uh I, I got a chance for a month um back in my radio days i was a spokesperson for a cadillac dealership so i got to drive an escalade for a month so I guess I'd go with the. I know it was all, damn, it was a pretty sweet car. I'm not gonna lie. I, I guess if I could, I, 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 I'd pimp an Escalade.
0: What is there? Um, well, you already did a food and a drink. Is there uh, maybe a quarter zip sponsorship or something that you, you know, that that's play? a good call.
1: I, 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 I'm gonna sometimes short
0: day. pants sponsorship.
1: I, I'm, I'm gonna hate the day when quarter zips go out of style because I just they, they're, they're just they're fashionable and they are comfortable, they're just an easy wear for people, my no. man. If you ever looked at somebody wearing a quarter I'm serious about this. Anybody wearing a quarter zip and go, boy, that doesn't look right on that guy or that person or that. I mean, they, they look good on everybody.
0: Yeah, They the really o- do. The only time it, it really can look bad is when you're a short, stumpy person. You have got a really like long one.
1: Like well, myself. And you, well, if, oh, if, if oh, yeah. And I, and I don't you know wear I'm the long one. I, yes, I can't stand those.
0: I'm not talking about you, though. I'm talking about like the guy who's. 250 300 pounds yes, and, and it's, hanging, it's hanging
1: down almost to his knees i yeah. those things look terrible yes yeah, absolutely it yeah, becomes boy. like
0: a moo that that yes. becomes a bad look. Yeah. yes th- that that's not the cool only boy. way it can be as long as it's fitted it usually looks yes. good it's like yoga pants for men yes yoga pants yes. To for the most part as long as you're not absurdly obese make every female look better yes agreed than they otherwise would same yes. thing with quarter zips on guys
1: so so by the way speaking of of, of women's attire Um, Uh As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we were in Lexington for my daughter. Um, It was her final dance, which Uh, you loved. I was, it was exhilarating, Um, (laughs) but I did love the fact that she didn't want to go to a bar and have a beer with me and, uh, and, and watch the Highlands game. So that was good. So we went, we went afterwards. And so this, this cute, I mean, she's a college age, cute waitress was was waiting on us. She had like a little midriff shirt that cut off at about the top of the belly button, but wearing like old school, almost bell-bottomy type jeans. And I looked at her, I go, I said something like she's cute and I said but I got a question are those coming back into style and she goes oh yeah I'm like oh you don't people listen I know a lot of young people probably don't listen to this podcast but if you're a parent or if you're young enough to have friends that are maybe younger tell them to not go back to any form of 70s fashion please tell I lived it people don't do it don't you'll hate yourself you'll in 20 years when you look back at some of the stuff you're gonna about to wear if you're going back to 70s fashion you are going to hate yourself don't well, that... stop
0: that's funny because it, it'll be taking over the trend of mom jeans that has swept yeah. the women's fashion over the last, I don't know, five years or so. Yeah, That was the one that I just couldn't get over. Like, I couldn't either. The I'm jeans that were always made fun of on Saturday night live and everything right. else as being right. mom became like a fashion thing right. and still are it. It looks bizarre as hell. No one looks good in them, uh, but that's not for us to uh, decide here. I, I am fascinated to see because I am resigned to the fact that my parents were always right. And all you elders were always right. That fashion is a one big cycle and everything will always come back at some point. When does the late 2000s era of high school, super baggy, oversized clothes come back in? Because that was the worst. That was absolutely not, awful. The pictures yes. are the most ridiculous. And. My guess is because we are now to the point in basketball games where guys are wearing shorts that are halfway up their thighs and they're rolling yep. them twice to make them smaller and tighter. I never thought that look would come back. And I didn't either. So I'll be clearly, honest, I didn't either. the super baggy look will be back at some point. I'm sure I, man, I just, that's going to be tough to swallow. I, if, like my kids wearing f- baggy clothes again.
1: I got a feeling that will be my one of my grandchildren in their teenage years, and yeah. they're not going to like grandpa chief telling them that they look like crap. They're just well, not going to like it. You
0: know what? That was inevitable from the start. You, it was. you ragging on the young grandkids clothing was going to be an automatic regardless of what they wore.
1: <laughs> but, so both, both of my daughters have sworn that I'm not allowed to coach their, their children when, when I'm, when I'm, I think when that's elders. probably
0: a decent policy for the family. Yeah. Probably, some great probably save some uh, fights at dinner. Yep. All right. So I'm, I'm going to go, braxton beer as my okay. first sponsor i'm gonna go Coles slash apartment nine black v-neck t-shirt
1: wow okay. my my
0: go-to uniform all every right. day during the summer is my black v-neck and uh khaki shorts or like a gray short time short, some time some time short, time short pants. pant that's yes. correct yes as uh, so I'll, I'll go that and the second or the third would be either the google pixel cell phone i'm a big google pixel guy not an iphone guy which people get all fired up about and are mad from time to time or maybe the uh precise pilot v7 rollerball pen kind of my go-to pen that wow every
1: yeah i've told you i'm a hotel pen guy i've got a i'm I'm, a, I'm either a tchotchke pen guy where i just pick them up for free from somebody or a hotel pen guy so yeah know, I'm, that I'm makes not very particular. makes my skin
0: crawl when you say that i, re- I
1: realize that I, I i i'm a big i'm a big a uh, thick sharpie guy too. I use those a lot.
0: Yeah. Oh, I I do like a sharpie from time yeah, to time. Just writing with yeah. a good Sharpie feels good. But dude, the, the way, problem is the, they bleed through on my legal pad. So the only
1: thing about being a spokesman for a phone is what, what do you really get out of that other than a phone? I mean I guess you're hoping for some cash along the way, right?
0: Yeah. What do you mean? That's what every sponsorship about. You're getting paid to to pimp dude, the products you dude, use. I like dude, all, my all, phone. I've I've used a Google Pixel phone now for like uh almost over 10 years like a decade you know how long that is in the phone industry if you're not all, an iphone user
1: all i all i want all i want out of it is is. So I'm a spokesman for heineken is free heineken for as long as i'm the spokesman free cheeto free cheese for as long as i'm the spokesman and driving that escalade for as long as i'm the spokesman
0: well you know i mean i'll take all the braxton beer free cell phone service and free black v-necks for the rest of my life i'm fine with that too you know it's better than what i'm getting now
1: uh, that's good stuff
0: <laughs> all right. I like that question. That's I did too. interesting. Look into your life of like, Absolutely. what it, what are your most used
1: valued possessions? I guess. Absolutely. Well done. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate it very much. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with, uh, with much more as we approach the draft. Hopefully the Reds will snap out of this mini slump that they're in here at the moment, right? Ship. And we'll talk about all that and more next week's podcast. For Rich Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the skinny podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.